Again, please turn First John chapter four, beginning at verse thirteen, and I'll be reading uh, through to verse uh, chapter five, verse four. So, First John four thirteen. Please give your full attention. Uh, this is the word of our God. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he sees cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So far the reading of God's Word. May He add His blessing to it. Well, earlier this week, we were sitting around our living room uh, and talking. We got on the topic of certain nonverbal communication uh, that we all do, certain nonverbal things that take place between people. And I noted that when I was younger, people from my generation, when they greeted one another, uh, often in a nonverbal way, we would tilt our head up, you know, as if to say, "What's what's up." Perhaps uh, an 80s version of hello, I suppose. Uh, And I observed that in the past, that when I would meet people from my grandfather's generation, uh, they would have the opposite uh, nod. They would nod their head. That was their way of saying hello. Uh, They would nod their heads down as if to say, how do, right? Uh, And it occurred to me that this is possibly more of a geographic um, difference than a generational one. Um, but it reminded me uh, the, of the different ways that we describe things depending on where we are from. Um, I recall reading an old American history book uh, that was written in, in 1902, and it came across a chapter entitled uh, The War of Secession. The War of Secession. And I won't quiz any of you what that means. I'll just tell you. Uh, it's, of course, referring to what we now call the Civil War, uh, the War of the North against the South. It's that time when the South wanted to secede or break away from the Union. They wanted to pull out and to separate from the Union. And so the South was referred to as secessionists. And so at that time, the Civil War, what we called, was then called the War of Secession. As we look at John's letter, 
this morning, this little portion, this little dip into the letter of 1 John. Uh, it's always helpful that we look at something of the background of what's going on in that letter. Uh, we see some of the issues going on in the church to which John is writing. There is a developing schism and a split within the Christian community that led to John writing this letter to them. Some of the people had separated themselves from the others. They had pulled out, they had seceded, and they were in the process of setting up their own community. And these folks kept in touch with that original community, and they were actively trying to entice them to come with them, to join in this new group. And what did this new group, these secessionists, what did they teach? Well, they taught a number of things, but briefly, uh, they denied a number of fundamental truths of the Christian faith. They denied a number of fundamental teachings of the rest of Scripture. They denied that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. They denied that He had come in the flesh. They denied His authority as the Son of God. They denied their own sinfulness. All of these things we can see throughout this epistle to first, uh, this first John epistle. And we see John throughout his letters seeking to correct and to answer these things. Uh, John is responding to this group that had pulled out of or seceded from that body. And those who study the history of these things and of what was going on refer to them as secessionists because they had pulled away, separated themselves from the church denying these basic teachings of the faith and upsetting the believers, the rest of the believers, and luring them to come with them, to pull out from them. And so in this passage, the Apostle John is pouring out his heart to this congregation. He's pouring out to them to give them assurance and to give them confidence. And we notice a number of things from this passage as we look at John and his longing to give confidence and assurance to these children in the faith. Assurance in Christ, what they were professing, what they were trusting in for their lives, for their peace, and for their future. John wants to give them confidence and assurance. We also, as we look at this text, can gain, uh, glean from it confidence and assurance. Right? Despite the many difficult things that we go through in our lives, all the drama that we go through in our relationships, all the sin, all the mistreatments, all that we go through, how can we have confidence and assurance? Well, we see in this text that we indeed can have confidence. We can be assured in our lives because of our abiding in love, because of our ability to love, and because of our action in love. And those are the things that we're going to look at, uh, our abiding in love, our ability to love, and our action in love. John tells us in, first, uh, in, the, in uh, verse 13, uh, he tells us this. He says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his, of his spirit. And so we see this reciprocal abiding, right? Uh, he in us and we in him. It is known to us because he has given us of his spirit. John is concerned to give his readers assurance that this is the case. Again, remember the issues that are going on in that congregation. It involved people that were denying that Jesus was the Christ, that he had come in the flesh. They were even denying the necessity of a Savior at all. And so we look at uh, John as he writes in this epistle and in the second epistle to John. And we see him addressing these things in a number of ways. 
uh, and I'll point out a couple of verses in 1 John 2.22. We see he's addressing these deniers. He says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. And then 1 John 4.2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses what? That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Is from God. And then 2 John 1.7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is what, John says, the deceiver and the antichrist. And then 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then chapter, uh, verse 10, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. It's helpful to recognize here that these deniers, these denials, are not isolated to this community in the first century. Certainly, we have all encountered people who deny Jesus, the Savior, come in the flesh, especially so close to Resurrection Sunday. Right? How many will be subjected to scorn and ridicule of unbelieving family members or loved ones who deny all of these things? Our culture and all of its influences bombard us with messages that deny all of these things, these fundamental truths of the Christian faith. Man is basically good, we hear all the time. All paths are valid. Right? We've all seen the lame bumper sticker, coexist. Right? Coexist. And all the nonsense that comes in the news, the, uh, the weekly magazines, uh, this time of year, explaining away and refuting the empty tomb of Jesus. We've all heard and seen the same kind of thing. These kinds of things are what was going on and what John was concerned with to address for his people who were being spiritually shaken by these deniers and the things that they were saying. And so throughout this text, John wants to give them assurance that they indeed are abiding in God and he in them. He's telling them who they are. He's telling them their identity in Christ. He says they confess Jesus is the Christ. They have the Spirit. They love one another. These are all the things that show the truth of God living in them. Then in verse 14, John emphasizes one of these points that's denied. And he says, We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Savior of the world. Where have we heard that before? Is that, what comes to mind when you hear John say this? We've heard this before because in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 4, verse 42, after Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, it is proclaimed about Jesus that he is the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. And in that context, in that verse, the emphasis is on the world, right? He is not only the Savior of the Jews, but the Samaritans too. But here in 1 John, the emphasis that he is the Savior of the world. And he's the Savior. And those pulling out, those seceders, were denying the need for a Savior at all. They said, we're enlightened and empowered by our own special knowledge. Jesus certainly didn't come in the flesh. He certainly was not a Savior. We have no need for that. That could be said today. We hear similar things. But John says, no, he is the Savior. 
He's already addressed this. In, uh, we read it, 1 John 1.8, when he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So to, not, to deny the need for a Savior is to call God a liar. Right again, in 1 John 1.10, If we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. We hear the same thing today. Again, every time we hear things like, Well, I may not be perfect, but I'm pretty good, and I'm basically good. And that's okay. Right? You're okay, I'm okay, we're okay. You hear things, I'm not perfect, but I certainly don't need a Savior. What does that even mean? John says, no, you need a Savior. We confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior come in the flesh. You confess this and abide in God and God in you. He's telling them their identity. He's telling them they're abiding in God and their union with Christ, their Savior. They're abiding in love. John's hearers were having their faith attacked because their Savior was being attacked. Our faith is attacked as well, brothers and sisters. Not only from the outside world, but from our own sin-sick souls that doubt and that behave contrary to our own profession. Our actions and our attitudes betray the reality of who we are, of what the scriptures tell us we are. Our enemies lie to us, and our flesh lies to us. John says for his hearers, and for you here this morning, dear Christian, we know that we abide in him because he has given us of his spirit. John wants to assure his readers of their identity. And I want to assure you, brothers and sisters, of your identity. As you believe, as you have faith, as you trust in Christ, he is yours and you are his. And there are three things that John gives here, three things that indicate our identity. And those are this. In verse 13, it's the presence of the Spirit. In verse 15, the confession of Christ. And then in verses 21 through to 5, 3, that obedience to the commandment to love. These are the things that he says are indicators of who we are in Christ. The presence of the Spirit, the confession of Christ, our obedience to the love commandment. Is the Spirit present and at work in your lives? Do you confess Christ? Do you love the brothers? John says to his people, we confess, we need a Savior. One whose death paid the penalty for our sins. We acknowledge this and that we need and love each other, that we need to love each other. And if this is true of you, you are his. And this double abiding is a reality for you, dear Christian. And this is to assure you of what? To assure you of your place in Christ, your identity, to assure you of your salvation. But how can this be? How is it that we can love at all? We all struggle, right? We all struggle with the failure of our sin and our own brokenness. And if we're honest with ourselves, we must admit this. We must admit this. I don't think it's just me, but you may have these feelings as well. How can my polluted heart even begin to love? How can I draw the pure water of love from the sin-polluted spring of my own heart? That's the question you'll ask yourself if you're honest with yourself. 
Well, John tells us in the middle of verse 16, it's that little but well-known phrase. God is love. God is love. So John further identifies for us and he assures us of who we are. This is how we are able to love. Right? Our polluted hearts have been infected by God's love. That's how we're able to love. Our hearts have been infected and his love and with him abiding in us, love abides in us and we abide in God. And then verse 19 states it clearly. Right? We love, why? Because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And his love displaces our old nature. It infects our hearts. It transforms us to holiness. And then we move on to the second point, the ability, the ability to love. True empowerment to love. The truth of who we are abiding. That enables us to love. Because God is love and God is in us and we are in love We are able to love. We are enabled to love. Because before and without Christ, we cannot love. I can tell you that you cannot give what you do not possess or what you've never experienced. And how many of you, brothers and sisters, can remember a time before your conversion when you thought that for all you could, with all of your power, you loved your wife or your husband or your kids? And then compare that the true Christian love that you are now capable of. And there's no comparison. Until you know and taste the love of the Father in Jesus Christ, you have no knowledge or ability to even begin to love. And the only way or reason for us to love others is by God first loving us and abiding in us. He loves us. He empowers us. And this enables you, dear Christian, to therefore go and love. Many people are very confused by this. Many people think that they get this power to love from themselves or mystically from something else. But the truth of the matter is, believing something does not make it so. John is not here referring to some kind of self-empowerment or some quasi-spiritual means. Have you ever received on your doorstep... Literature that's left there from some kind of various cult or other group. I remember we once had a, it ended up being a, a Korean meditation cult. Um, if, you, if those things exist, I guess. Uh, they, left, they left something on our door and it claimed that people, um, to, to, to help people to become more positive and to overcome struggles in their lives and overcome troubles in their lives. But as you read it, it was very clear. What it was doing was driving man back upon himself. Right? It was saying that in and of ourself, man can overcome these struggles. But what does the Bible say about man? Right? It's desperately wicked. It's desperately wicked. Man's problem isn't a failure to self-realize his potential. It is that he is sinful and he needs a savior outside of himself to save him. The truth of the matter is, believing something doesn't make it so. And you can't get this from yourself, or from pop psychology, or from a totem pole, or a golden calf, or a computer screen. You can't get it from chanting meditation. None of these things can give power, because none of them have power. 
You are able to love because God is love. He's abiding in you. And you abide in love. And this gives you assurance for life. It gives you assurance for who you are in Christ and for who God is. And what He enables you to do, what you are able to do, you can love because He is love. How can you love your enemies? How can you love those hostile family members or loved ones? Or even the brothers and sisters in the family of God? How can you care for those in need and give them a cool cup of water when they are thirsty? You love your brothers and sisters. You love your neighbor, not because you want to appear a certain way or to gain favor with God and man. It is possible only because he first loved you. Because he first loved you. Because he dwells in you. And he continues to transform you into the image of his beloved son. Rejoice, brothers and sisters, and thank him for the matchless grace and the matchless love that he's shown you in Christ. So our abiding in love, our abiding in God, our identity, him loving us, his love making able our loving others, this results in the assurance and the action of love, right? This third thing we're looking at, the action of love. And the outworking of all of that is what? It is peace and it is obedience. Because of this, we have both the freedom from the fear of punishment and the ability to act in love towards our brothers. John explains this glorious results, the glorious truth. It results in confidence and assurance regarding, right? Notice what he says, divine punishment and the love of the brothers, the family of God. Right in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 4, we see Jesus. Because he is our Savior, he will not be our judge. Right? Because he is our Savior, he will not be our judge. We are free from the, the fear of punishment. Right? What does verse 18 say? Fear has, has to do with punishment. Jesus fulfilled that punishment for you, dear Christian. If nothing to fear in that regard. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, verse 46, following the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus ends with these words. He says, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And this is the only other time that that word punishment is used in the New Testament. In 1 John and in Matthew. God will deliver that punishment when? On the day of judgment. But verse 18 of 1 John tells us that love drives out that fear of punishment. Fear is obviously the natural consequence of fallen man who does not, having, who does not have the punishment-satisfying Savior to satiate that fear. And apart from Christ and outside of Christ, terror is not only justified, it is the only honest response. Terror and dread. But remember, again, that glorious passage, Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Isn't that a glorious truth, brothers and sisters? His love has been poured into our hearts by the Spirit who's been given to us. Isn't that the core of what John is saying here in his letter? Apart from Christ, terror and fear. But God's love shown forth in Jesus 
gives life to the one who has faith in him, who remains in him and moves them to love God and to love others. Indeed, dear Christian, in Christ we have peace and assurance, assurance regarding final punishment. In abiding in love and able to love, we will what? We will love. That assurance of God's love is directly tied to our peace of conscience. One of those, one of those joys, one of those benefits of our justification and adoption. That peace of conscience which, which spurs us, which empowers, which affects a life of obedience. It motivates us to live in gratitude. John gives the contrast in verse 20. Right? In verse 20, John says, If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. John here is making the point from the lesser to the greater. And he's telling the reader, the one who does not love the brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And then verse 21 gives a clear statement of the idea that is throughout John's writings. And what does it say? Verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, that is Christ, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. His commandment is what? That we love one another. That we love one another. You don't have to look these verses up, but perhaps write them down. I'm going to read a number of passages from John's Gospel that reiterate the same point. Right? It's not new with John. John says in his Gospel, verse 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The commandment to love. And then in chapter 14, verse 15, If you loved me, you will keep my commandments. Chapter 15, verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 17 of chapter 15, These things I command you, that you love one another. Loving God and keeping His commandments cannot exist apart from one another. Right? They go hand in hand. The one issues forth from the other. John is assuring his people who did love their fellow believers that they really did know God despite what these deniers were shaking them up to believe. And that the claims of these deniers to know God was indeed false. In chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 of 1 John, John restates this all together and he says, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is how we know who we are. Verses 1 and 2, whoever believes that Jesus Christ is born of God and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. There it is again and again. And then he summarizes all this in verse 3. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And then John adds, and his commandments are not burdensome. It's mind-boggling, right? As incomplete and slow in progressing as our obedience may be, God is growing you, dear Christian. He is transforming you. He is conforming you. His command is not burdensome. It is not oppressive. It is not heavy and burdensome for the one whose nature 
has been changed. For the one who's been given a new heart and who abides in God, who abides in love. We know this. Right? What did Jesus say? Remember he said, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. God's people love. Not a sappy, plastic, Ned Flanders kind of love or pretended uh, only when there's something in it for me kind of love, but real love. And I pray that you, brothers and sisters, that you enjoy the blessing of the love of the body of Christ in your lives. And that you thank God and praise Him for it. I pray also that you are, because you are abiding and because you are able Pray that you are loving the brothers as well. Because when you experience the true and powerful love of God and God's people in your lives, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It's almost too much to handle. Why? Why should I be loved by the Savior? Why should He love me at all? Why should He love you? It's only for his good pleasure, for his special electing love. It's nothing in us, only that he desired to do so. And that should be enough to overwhelm every one of us and to continually change you. He abides in you and you in him. This is who you are. His love is the very source and power that makes love possible. This is how you can love. And that, this is the case, you can and will act out in love. Assured of who you are and enabled to keep that commandment to love one another. And as we conclude and we look at verse 4 of chapter 5, this text culminates and it tells us the only way that this happens. The only way that this happens. The only way that the world is overcome. The values and the attitudes all opposed to God the world, the only way this is overcome, the only way to victory over the worldly tendency to sinful self-satisfaction is to be born of God. Only then are you able and free to love and obey, to be born of God. In all of this, John tells us is what? All of this in verses 4 and 5 is through faith. It's through faith. You see that? Faith in Jesus Christ, that one the deniers and the upsetters of this congregation were attacking. Faith in the Messiah, come in the flesh to be the Savior of the world. Faith in the one who will judge the world in righteousness, who has taken the punishment and the judgment for those who belong to him and who have faith in him. Faith in the one who loves and fills with love and changes natures to self-sacrificial love and obedience. It is all through faith that this happens. Here is victory over the deniers. Here is victory over our own sinful hearts and over guilt and fear and all that is against God. Faith in His Son. It is here and here alone where victory is found. Your only hope and your assurance is faith in Jesus Christ. Assurance from abiding in love, leading to living in love, made possible by God who is love, living in you, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. 
This is glorious, brothers and sisters. This is glorious. You may be thinking, you may be thinking, I don't keep this commandment to love. I don't love like this. I don't love like I should. This is not natural for me. I waver in my profession. I waver in my love. I'm even fearful at times. Brothers and sisters, you're right. You don't do these things. You are weak. And you fail and you stumble. You are inconsistent in your life. We are feeble and foolish and forgetful. And probably the more you understand the magnitude of God's call on your life to be holy, the more you realize your inability and your failure to measure up. And it can be crushing. But take heart, dear Christian. Take heart and have confidence and be assured. You have a Savior who does measure up, who does love as He should, who is perfectly holy, who did fully keep these commandments. And by faith, for the one who trusts in Him through faith, He gives this to you. He did this for you. He has freed you to walk in love and to be free of the terror of punishment. You were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified. Brothers and sisters, He has and He is sanctifying you. He is growing you. You are not working and fighting to get to the point where you can love naturally from your own sin-stained soul. Remember, you cannot give what you do not have. Rather, remember... Your nature has been changed. The talons of sin in your life have been removed. And He is working in you to live out of your new nature, united to Him who is holy and does love and does not fail. The one who cares for you and carries you. The one who assures you that the glorious and soul-healing, life-giving love for you is real and will never fail you will never falter. It will never leave you. He is working in you. And He will complete you until the end. That is the promise of His Word. You are part of His family by faith in Christ. Come in the flesh, filled with His love and fearless for the future. Indeed, fearless to walk with the feet of faith in love. Love for Him and love for those who belong to Him. And even love for your enemies. Free to live your life in this love out of your identity. Out of your union with Christ. (coughs) Indeed, may we hold in our hearts and live from the reality of his love. And take heart, brothers and sisters. The one in whom assurance and comfort alone is. This one is yours. This one is yours. If you trust and believe in him, your life is hidden in him. He has loved you first. As you leave here this Lord's Day, remember what God tells us from this text. Your action in love is made possible only from His abiding in you. And this issues forth in your assurance and confidence that He is yours and you are His. 
May this assurance impact your actions, dear Christian. And may you glorify your God by those actions. And may he be praised in them. May the world see who we are by what we do, because of who we are. And may we look away from ourselves, away from ourselves into him who lives for you and will bring you one day to into the very presence of the Father where your true home is. And may he keep you this week in love to the praise of his glory, both now and forever. Amen.